James Jansen. This has come to my spirit three times, so I'm going to share it with you. I was watching you worship over there this morning, not to make you uncomfortable or call you out or anything, but I felt like the Lord said that there's a new level of favor coming into your life with you and Dana. And I felt like the Lord said, uh, with that favor, there are going to be three levels of increase. There will be a level of increase in your lives spiritually, a level of increase relationally, and then once those things have been accomplished in your life, there's going to be increase financially in your life. And when he brings that increase, walk in faithfulness to him. It's, It's almost as if the Lord's going, there's no end to that. As long as he can pour it, through you. Um, You've been a faithful servant, and the Lord is going to bring increase into your life, into the life of you and your wife. And so I just amen that, and I celebrate that with you. (laughs) Kurt's going, I'm sitting right here. (laughs) You know, sometimes you can uh, go, okay, God, was that you? But that was so, so God, because I start to get really nervous in my spirit if I don't share it. I don't know if anybody else does that, but you're like, God's not going to let that go. So I look forward to seeing what he's getting ready to do with you and Dana. And uh, I'm excited about that. I watched him do it in Justin and Jessica's life, and I'm excited about seeing what he does in yours. So are you guys ready to get into the word this morning? I'm excited about, kind of, I mean, I am very excited about what the Lord has to share this morning. And so let's just jump into that. I know how you love to stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down. So let's stand up. And you have done four squats today. You can forget that elliptical. All right, Luke 16, verses 10 through 15. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Father, I'm so thankful that your word um, settles us. It shakes us and it settles us. It sifts us and it finds the truth on the innermost being, which is your goal. And Father, as we come under your word today, I'm asking that you do that. I'm asking, Father, that, that our hearts and our spirits are attentive to what you're saying. Because, Father, there is freedom in the house. Father, there is deliverance in this house today. And, Father, we are excited because we need it. And so, Father, we just come under your word today expectantly. Father, I pray that everything that is of me would fall away and be forgotten. But God, everything that is of you would stand and produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. And they said, amen, amen, amen. Um, um, Today we're going to talk about 
The title of the sermon is called Two Masters. In the passage of scripture that we read, we are talking, it says you cannot serve God and money. Money translated there is actually the word mammon. And if you read the uh, real Bible, the King James Version, um, I'm just teasing. I like all of them. (laughs) I like all of them. The Amplified gives me more freedom, so I'm good with that too. But it, it talks about mammon. And it's interesting to me that the word mammon, whether in Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew, stays the same. And usually when that happens in the word, the only words that aren't changed with translation are usually proper nouns. They're usually names. If your name was Peter or Petros, it's usually going to be that no matter which way you go. And I find that interesting because what the Lord began to do with me with this uh, particular passage of Scripture, I began to pray. I said, okay, Lord, I need you to show this to me. I do this always when I teach. Lord, show this to me in such a way. Show me how this fleshes out in my life so I can show them how it might flesh out in their life. You know, because I just kind of want you to tell me the truth and open it up to me. And Lord, if you'll explain it to me simple, I can explain it to them simple and we'll all be better off for it. And and uh, I got to looking at this word mammon and and I really feel like for today's purposes, I want us to make it a proper noun. I want us to add a capital M. Now, that wouldn't be really strange to do because in the world, in today's culture, they do add a capital M. They call him by name. They call him Mammon. And we will see Mammon, translated money in this particular passage of Scripture, In the world today, Mammon is known as a a demon lord. He's known as the god of never enough, the demon of covetousness, the one who's never satisfied. He goes by many names, and we see him in popular culture. We see him in um, Phantom of the Opera. The Phantom worshipped Mammon. We see him, Keanu Reeves did a movie back a while ago that I couldn't watch because it was scary and I can't watch scary movies because I have bad dreams. But he did a movie called Constantine. And the demon lord in that movie was uh, called Mammon. We find Mammon represented in in the game Dungeons and Dragons. It's played in basements and nerd houses all across. And I say that. (laughs) I say that with reverence. Having two IT sons in my household. But... um, the demon lord in, in charge of the third level of hell in Dungeons and Dragons is called Mammon, capital M. And so for today's purposes, I'm going to add a capital M so that we might put a face on this thing that God is saying, you shouldn't serve Mammon. And I believe if I can put a name on it, then I might be able to share a little bit of the personality traits that he has and maybe... Uh, allow us to see where those fingerprints might show up in our own lives, lest we begin to think that mammon has nothing to do with us. I mean, obviously, we're sitting in church this morning and we're worshiping the Lord, but let's just take a look at mammon for a little bit and let's see if perhaps there is any any relevancy in our own lives. The word uh, that the Lord gave me, I said, Lord, I really don't want to talk to them about money. And he said, He really clarified in my spirit. He said, it's not about money. It's about mastery. It's about mastery. And the word that the scripture that the Lord had been churning in my spirit for a while was out of 1 Corinthians 6, 12. And that particular passage of scripture says, all things are permissible for me, but not all things are profitable. And then it goes on to say, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
Now, the word in that is exactly the same that's used in this passage of Scripture that we just read that says we cannot serve two masters. That word is called exustiazo. Exhaustiazo. What does that sound like to you? Exhausted. And see, that's part of the nature of man, mammon. It will exhaust you in the chase. It literally means to have... Uh, allow something to rise in superiority, to ascend over your life, to uh, take preeminence in your life. And it does it slowly. The picture that it paints isn't of a dictator coming in and taking over your life. It is as if the waters begin to rise and all of a sudden this force begins to rise in your life. And see, I really believe that mammon is a spiritual force. I'm not saying it is or isn't anything. I'm saying I believe there's a spiritual force behind it. Scripture tells us that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with principalities and powers, spiritual forces in dark places. And I believe that mammon is backed up by a spiritual force that can invade our lives in such a way that we are bound and captured by it. Because what mammon seeks to do, and I'm just, what mammon does is, he makes you feel like you never have enough. Mammon makes you feel like you've got to have more and because everybody else has more. And mammon makes us do what this passage of Scripture says and begin to justify ourselves in the, the lives and the eyes of the people around us instead of finding justification and answers in God. So what it will do is it'll come in and it'll make you feel like Poor pitiful me, I really needed that. I really wish I could have that. And it will bind you. And the imagery that the Lord gave me was it's just like that old thing where the monkey sticks his hand in the tree to grab the little shiny object. And he closes his fist around the shiny object and he can't get free because he refuses to open his hand. And that monkey will literally die there, starve to death there, holding until it's, because it will not open its hand and let go. And I believe that's what the enemy does in our lives with debt. I believe it's the thing that the enemy does that makes us never satisfied. I believe mammon is, the, like they say, a, a, a demon lord or a power or a force that makes us never satisfied with what we have. It's never enough. Whereas the Spirit of God will do the complete opposite. The Spirit of God will do what Paul did and said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Mammon will hold you captive. It will lie to you. It will hide you. It will enslave you. It will hold you captive. Money um, is a weird and, and, and dangerous thing when the enemy does what he does with it. I was asking the Lord, show me, Lord, remind me. And he took me back. So I'm going to do with you um, what he did with me. He reminded me, and I'm going to tell it to you in the, in the mind of a 10-year-old because I'm not always totally accurate, but I'm doing the best I can here and remembering this story. But the Lord took me back and said, Lord, show me where Mammon has done this to somebody. And he reminded me of Mrs. Goddard. Mrs. Goddard lived on our road in Walls Hollow, I know, metropolitan area, in um, Walls Hollow. And she lived back up on the hill in a clapboard house, and, and it was obviously haunted. And <laughs> none of the children in town would have disputed that fact. And so we would like go as far around her house as possible. And some of you will understand this reference and some may not, but it was basically Batilda Babshot after the snake. But anyway, and 
We were always really scared to go up there, and we knew she was a witch. I mean, it was obvious. <laughs> and so anyway, one day when I was minding my own business at my mother's house, as I always did as a child, and uh, I was blessing my sisters with my presence a little too often, and, uh, and I hear my mother's voice say, Barbara Diane, come in here. That's never a good sign. And, and she says, Barbara Diane, come in here. And then I did this really strange thing that people used to do back then, and I said, yes, ma'am. Because children used to say yes ma'am when their parents called their name. And I said yes ma'am. And I walked in there and she said, Barbara Diane, you are getting on my last nerve. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And uh, she said, I want you to go down to Mrs. Goddard's house. (laughs) I think I blacked out at that point. (laughs) She said, I want you to go down to Mrs. Goddard's house and I want you to knock on her door and I want you to ask her if you can help her with something. And I said, why can't you just spank me like a normal mother? (laughs) I said, Mama, she hates kids. I may not come back. (laughs) She raised her eyebrows and I said, yes, ma'am. And I took that walk, death row, (laughs) down to Mrs. Goddard's house. And I already devised a plan because she was obviously at least 120 years old. And I figured she couldn't hear very good. And I, I thought, well, I'll go, I'll obey my mom and I'll go knock on that door. And I said, I mean, I couldn't even heard it. And I was the one who did it. And, uh, and then I hear this voice on the other side of the door. And I'm pretty sure what she said was, I'll get you, my pretty. But I don't think that's right. <laughs> nah, maybe she didn't say that. Actually, what she really said was, what are you doing on my porch? And all of a sudden, I became a prepubescent male. Um, And my voice broke, and I went, Mrs. Goddard, my my mom said for me to come down here and ask you if I could help you with something. And she said, who's your mom? And I said, Barbara Barbara Kirkendall, kill her. No. Um, I said, Barbara Kirkendall. And she's like, okay, well, if you are just set on bothering me, then come on in the house. I walked in that house, guys, and first thing you notice is there's this door over to the right that's got a padlock on the outside of it. (laughs) And I'm thinking, now I know where my friends are. (laughs) I found my prayer language. (laughs) And she says, you can go in there and do those dishes, and I'm just going to sit here in the parlor, and I'm thinking, what's a parlor? And she points to this room, and I go into the kitchen, and I am not lying. Now, this part, grown-up Barbie knows is the truth. There was this hole in the floor in front of the sink, which might have explained like the decades' worth of dishes that were stacked over there next to it. So in order to do these dishes, I either had to do like this and lean across, or I had to stand like this against the sink. So I wound up doing dishes like this. Well, there were varmints under there. And I was watching them, and they were watching me, and it was all good until they, one of them came through, and it was a possum. <laughs> and I looked down, and it looked up at me, and it looked at me looking down at it, and it did what possums do. Like teenagers when you ask them to do a chore. 
And all of a sudden, they're asleep, and you're thinking, you were just playing video games a minute ago. But anyway, I finished those dishes. I'm pretty sure it took like two and a half days. And I finished those dishes, and I stacked them on this rickety table because there was no way I was opening those cabinets because the spider families on the outside would have been very angry with me. So I wasn't opening those. And so I finished the dishes and wrapped my hands in gauze. And, I'm <laughs> and I walked through to the parlor and I said, Mrs. Goddard, the dishes are finished. I think I'm going to head home now. And she made much show out of reaching into the folds of her apron. And she pulls out this little tiny change purse with a little metal clasp on the top. And she bleep, pops it open and she holds out this quarter. And I said, Mrs. Goddard, I don't want your money. She said, everybody wants money. And I said, no, ma'am, I don't want your money. I just wanted to come and help you. My mama told me to come and help you. She wrapped her hand around that corner, uh, around that quarter and drew it back in like she had just received back the greatest treasure I walked out of that house and I started walking down that dirt road and I was thinking, poor Mrs. Goddard. God, she doesn't have anybody. God, she doesn't. You know, in that house, there were like beautiful lamps and fine carpets on this little rickety house, but they had like two or three inches of dust and dirt on them. And, and I'm, I'm walking and I'm thinking, poor Mrs. Goddard. And my heart's just going out to her. And wasn't long after that, I heard my parents in the... Um, house talking, and they said Mrs. Goddard had passed in her sleep. When they got into Mrs. Goddard's house, they found money everywhere. There was jars of money buried underneath the house. That's what that hole must have been for. And that locked room that had the padlock on it had jars of money, mattresses with money. They, were, they think she had, was a, a millionaire. And I remember as a kid thinking, how can she live like that? How could she be so in so much bondage and have that much money? But see, her treasure was in the money. It was hidden. It was precious to her. She wasn't going to part with it. And it had bound her tightly and it had captured her into mammon's dark reign. That's where she lived. And she never escaped it. It was precious. It was treasure to her. Her life could have been so different. And see, I don't think any of us, I think most of us in this room, if we ever reached the point in our life where we had too much money, we would probably share it, or at least I would hope that we would. I would think that once we have our needs met, we might open our hands and begin to extend them to other people and begin to pour into other people's lives. But see, there's this place that mammon dwells. There's this place that mammon dwells, and the place that he dwells is in a place between need and want. And there's this great distortion that takes place in that space. And all of these things that we think we need are actually wants that mammon has magnified. We think we've just got to have this, we've just got to have that, and we will spend our lives chasing things. We'll spend our lives in a job that we don't like to earn money to pay for things that will never last. And we pour our lives out. And, and Mammon convinces us that, um, that we need these things. And, and somehow our vision is distorted. Mammon will make us walk into a room. And instead of seeing all the blessings that we have, think, man, I, that 50 inch is not quite big enough. It doesn't fill that space. 
If I only had that, and then I'm going to need surround sound with that. Now, I'm not mocking surround sound. I hope you got it. It makes some great movies if you can afford it. And see, but mammon will make you never satisfied. Those places in your life where you feel like what you have just isn't enough, that's what mammon does. And mammon did that to me, and I didn't realize that even as a child, even as a child, I think I was more greedy than I should have been or, or more great greedy than I ought to have been. When I wrote my first book, I sent it to my mom, and I went down to see her, and she said, Barbie, you did a great job on that. I just love it. I love the way you write. I love what you've done. She said, but, but honey, I never knew. I never thought we were poor. And there was such conviction in that. And I said, Mama, we weren't. I just couldn't see it because, see, all my life I was convinced because I looked at what other people had. I was convinced that I was poor. I would look at their store-bought clothes when they came into school and I would see these things and, and I, would, I would covet those and I would want those and, and I would go in wearing these homemade clothes. Or they would come in with their metal lunch boxes with the characters on them and, and have all these prepackaged foods. <laughs> and uh, and my, mine would be a brown paper bag with a sandwich and an apple that had been picked off the tree in our yard. Their parents would come in fancy cars and pick them up. And I would walk home two miles in the dirt. And that's not an exaggeration. It wasn't snowing. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I would walk home two miles. And that's what I saw. When what I should have seen and what I see with four and a half decades, five decades separating me from my childhood, I can look back there now and I can go and be so grateful for the woman who stayed up after we went to bed at night and made clothes for me. For the, for the woman who got up early and made that sandwich and picked that apple and washed that apple. I am grateful for the town that I grew up in that allowed a little girl child to walk two miles by herself to her house without fear of being abducted or something happening to her. I was a blessed woman, a blessed child. And see, the enemy clouds us and he makes us think that we're not blessed. He makes us think that we need more. He makes us think that HSN and QVC, they're your best friend. She will let me have that for five easy payments of $4.99 a month. And I need that because my friend has that and she likes it. And you know what? Before it's ever even paid for, it's either broken or it's in a storage building. Because we pour out our lives for things that don't matter. And then we are bound and we are caught. And, and you want to know if the enemy's fingerprints are on your life in this? Because I can see them on mine. I can see them where he's been in mine. If you, if you want to know if mammon has held sway in your life at all, look at second mortgages. Look at extended lines of credit. Look at more credit cards than you can pay. Look at storage buildings with stuff that you don't even need anymore. Guys, this is not a condemnation kind of message. I'm telling you something that will set you free because just like, you know, when the enemy came to Jesus, when the enemy came to Jesus in the wilderness and he tempted him, what did he tempt him with? He tempted him with worldly things. He tempted him with food and stuff and power. Because see, he's always about trying to make us feel gaping spiritual holes with empty little shallow trinkets rather than God. And just like Jesus, 
in the wilderness went at him with the word and combated him with the word. That's the way we combat this spirit that comes at us in our life. And see, he knew it would be like this. There are over 2,000 scriptures in the word that have to do with wealth, finances, um, the, the money, everything, that, that provision. There's more scripture about this particular topic than there is about love and than there is about faith. That tells me that God knew this would be a battle for us. So he provided a way out of it so that we wouldn't be tempted, that we wouldn't fall those things. And we find the answer for this in Malachi. The answer to combat, uh, you can take it for what it's worth, but you can find the answer of combating a spirit of mammon, the power and force behind mammon. You can find it in tithing. See, a spirit of mammon, when the offering basket passes you, the spirit of mammon will say, oh, you've got to have 100% of your income. You cannot make it with less than 100% because, see, mammon always thinks you've got to have the most. And then when you got the most, you've got to have more because, remember, he's never satisfied. And the spirit of God on the inside of you will say, if you will sanctify that first 10%, give me the first fruit of this, you are making a declaration in your life of who you're serving. And somehow we let the offering basket pass us and pretend it has nothing to do with our declarations or with our allegiances. But I promise you that it does. If I have ever told you the truth from this platform, I'm telling you the truth now. My mom used to tell me, she would say, I can't teach that at my church because my people will walk out. And I said, Mommy, you got to teach it. She said, my people are too poor. I said, that's why your people are poor. That's why your people are poor. They've got to know that God has a way out. And it isn't about being wealthy. It's about establishing mastery in your life. It's about saying God first in every area. And God doesn't ask for last fruits. He asks for first fruits. We don't pay our tithes when we, after we've paid all of our bills if there's enough left over. No, we go, God, you, okay, God, you said if I would do this, you're going to take care of me. So this is what I'm doing, and I'm establishing. I'm saying God first in this area because I'm tired of being the monkey in the tree. I'm tired of it. And guys, the Scriptures say it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Do not be enslaved again. Don't let money enslave you. Don't let mammon draw you. Don't let him hold you captive. Be free in this area. It's what God has for you. It's what God has for you. It's what he has for you so that you can pass it to your children. Justin, teach this to your group. These young parents that are in your group, you teach them to tithe. And we're not designating tithe because then we're telling God what to do with our money. Release it to him and let him do what he does. Release it to him and let him do what he does. I know you all just love me so much right now. <laughs> Come on out, guys. I want you free. I want you free. I want you so free that, that, that you are blessing people coming and going. We ought to be that people. We ought to be those people. And um, if y'all, we're going to worship in just a minute. Those who are going to uh, share the elements, would you come? But I want to do something else as well. I want to get some of the uh, prayer warriors to come down here. You can have communion after you've prayed, if you don't mind. Everybody else can come. But for those of you have been, who are bound, who are burdened financially, 
who have just been climbing uphill, it feels like, forever, and you can't get this to break over your life, would you come and let them pray with you? Because I really believe that there's an anointing in this area this morning to break the bondage of debt in your life. And see what happens when you begin to tithe instead of looking at something going, oh, how can I have that? You begin to rejoice when you see your debts going down. You begin to get happy when you see the bottom line diminishing. You're not supposed to owe anybody anything save love. So if you need help, if you need prayer and covering in this, Father, I thank you for your word. I can't do anything with it, but Father, everything that you begin in this room, Father, you said you will be faithful to complete. So for every seed that's been sown today, Father God, I'm asking that you complete your work, that you do what only you can do. Set your people free in this area. We will serve God and not mammon in Jesus' name. If you would come and receive the elements, come join.